Hello and welcome to the Liminal Gallery podcast with me, the founder and director of Liminal, Louise Fitzjohn. podcast is an opportunity to speak to the contemporary artists I'm exhibiting in my Margate-based art gallery. With an exciting program of solo and group exhibitions, hosting this podcast is a fantastic way to delve deeper into the artist's practice and to probe their innermost thoughts about their exhibitions. Liminal Gallery was founded in April 2021 and works with contemporary artists currently practicing across the UK and Ireland, showing the incredibly diverse creatives that are based here. I've been working in the art world for over a decade and I'm incredibly passionate about fully supporting the artists that I work with and I spend most of my time trawling through social media to find artworks which blow my socks off. The artists I work with have an approach which I haven't seen before, a unique talent which spans across the mediums. I'm so excited to share these artists with you as we have in-depth conversations exploring the artists' lives and works into what makes them tick and what gets a ticking off. So I hope you'll join me both on this podcast and down in Margate where you can see the exhibitions of these artists in person. I'm delighted to share that this 21st guest on the Liminal Gallery podcast is contemporary artist Maud Watley. Maud Watley makes drawings which layer images and motifs taken from art historical paintings, online archives, her camera roll and Google image results. Her work explores the politics of looking at things, the unexpected eroticism of placing different ideas in the context of one another and the ways in which the repetitive insistent touches of drawing can be both sexy and weird. Delicate and intricate, her coloured pencil drawings render familiar images, some seen while lazily scrolling through social media and some seen in museums across the world, layered and overlapping, creating a new dialogue. What I think Maud does so beautifully is to thrust these images into the contemporary. By layering images seen across history, both past and present, she creates a new meaning. She highlights the human experience in our daily mass intake of images. Google tells me that if you use social media, as most of us do, you probably see more than 3.2 billion images and 720,000 hours of video shared daily. This doesn't include the advertisements on TV, the sides of buses, billboards, and countless more we encounter every day when we leave our homes. Maud seamlessly fuses these images to create her own form of elegant mass consumption, which leave us sometimes with a feeling of sadness, sometimes eroticism, sometimes unease, but always with a good sense of humour. Watley is based in Margate. She has shown work here at Limbo, a group show entitled A Convenient Size for the Lap in 2019, and Crate entitled Domino in 2018, as well as in London entitled Careless Whisper in 2019, and in Folkestone, giggling quietly at the feel of it in 2018. She has spoken at the London Conference of Critical Thought in 2018 and has published drawings in Hotel Magazine in 2021, as well as her current and first ever solo exhibition at Liminal Gallery entitled Haunches. Maud Watley, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Louise. It's a pleasure. So my first question 
you've often told me that you have a limited attention span, yet there's something about drawing that holds you. Can you explain why that is and what pulls you towards this medium? I think there's like a hilariously basic start to that answer, which is that it's cheap. (laughs) (laughs) Someone gave me the advice that if you're going to sustain making things forever, you can't pick something that costs a billion pounds because it's impossible to do that. So I think picking something like paper and I mean, I use very cheap coloring pencils. It means I can sustain it forever if I want to, which is reassuring and nice. So I think that's one of the big reasons that drawing's a big thing, but I have always loved it. I've always drawn like this in this very anally retentive way. And I remember people making fun of me in school being like, why are you doing it like that? So it's always been these very intense, like bit March detailed vibe from me. So yeah, it's always been part of things. And I think I didn't sleep as a kid. And so my parents would put me in the kitchen with like drawing materials and shut the door and hope for the best. So it's ingrained in that way. But I do have a tiny, tiny attention span. That is also true. So I have to slam through like a billion coffees and get into this zone. Zone is a horrible word to use. Anyway, I've gone with it now. It's too late. Zone. I have to have, yeah, this massive focus. And it's like a smallish window, maybe like four hours, listening to disgusting, repetitive electronic music. And then my brain's just thinking about the drawing. And then eventually that fades and I have to accept it and move on to a different task and then kind of cycle through until I'm bored of that or the next thing and come back to the drawing afterwards. So it's always the anchor. I don't really know why, but the drawing is always the anchor in this kind of slightly chaotic cycle of trying to not lose focus every five minutes. But yeah, I love it. And it's been part of my life for a really long time. What amazing advice for someone to give you. I mean, it's so simple, but so true. Yeah, do something cheap. (laughs) Yeah, we can't all oil paint forever. I mean, yeah, pencils are pretty cheap as things go. So it is good. Yeah, and paper, easy to store. Mm Mm-hmm. You can steal it from work. <laughs> also true, depending on where you work. <laughs> yeah, true. I mean, there's usually a photocopier, right? Yeah. <laughs> that is amazing advice. How old were you when someone gave that to you? Were you at art school when someone said that to you? Was it after? I feel like maybe I was even reading. Maybe it was Phila DiBarlo, an interview. And I think it was advice that was kind of part of this interview of things that you should take on board if you're not rolling in cash but you like making things but it definitely really stayed with me I'm sure I've misquoted myself or Philida but yes it was along those lines and it is really solid advice and so drawing is one of the oldest art forms with so much rich history I think that your work honors that while taking it up a notch and bringing it into the contemporary by commenting on our mass daily intake of imagery and stacking them on top of each other almost vomiting them out on the page but in such a beautifully delicate and intricate way How has your practice changed over the years and what ignited your interest in layering images and how do you put them together? Is it by chance or through a lot of vetting? I think there's loads of chance. I think an answer to lots of those strands of questions is like, I really enjoy a lol. (laughs) And I used to, I think I used to do the drawings as a joke much more blatantly, maybe a few years ago. Like they were supposed to be silly and funny. I still hope they're sometimes silly and funny, but now the component parts maybe are less silly and funny. Maybe the juxtaposition has become what's nonsense. But yeah, so I can see that change. So I used to 
really merge things like there would be I'm thinking of two mice that had baby bell cheeses for no reason merged with their tails and I'm not sure what's happening there really that's not that funny now I'm explaining it out loud but anyway I used to merge the elements of the drawings and they were kind of part of these strange bodies that were all one thing and now there's much more of a focus with the layering of different components next to each other rather than necessarily part of one thing so that's a big change but I think it's still all color as well so very much used to only use single color for every drawing so pick one tone and that would be the whole thing no matter what the composition and now I really like jazzing around with all of the colors because that's great but that was much more of a thing all of the drawings would be single tone so that's changed too but I'm sure I mean to some extent you go back and forth I'm not fixed on any of these things, but yeah, I think there's much more of a layering focus at the moment as there is with the install in Liminal Gallery. So I really like that. I like acknowledging that they're separate things, but that putting them together is the fun part and the weird part. And that's very much like what you were saying about how we consume images, a relentless barrage of stuff. It's not necessarily related or it can be related or the things that are next to each other on a social media platform can be really jarring. So yeah, kind of emulating some of that, how we sort of see things. And you were saying about combining some of your images together, but I was instantly thinking about Bellows, the really big piece that's in the window that's like, I don't know how many drawings are on there. How many would you say, like 10? I think it's maybe seven, seven-ish, maybe more than that, yeah. So there's one where there's a horse's head and then it mutates into a really supple thigh <laughs> and a really chunky leg. <laughs> Love a chunky leg, yeah. That's peak pandemic, that drawing. That's from 2020. <laughs> yeah, you look back at some of those and think, hmm, yes. I was doing great. <laughs> <laughs> I was fine. I was fine. Because yeah. you were yes. living by yourself, right? During the pandemic. Yeah, just quietly making these ridiculous things. Yes. Quietly losing your mind. Mm, well, I think maybe everyone can relate to that. I don't know. Yeah. 100%. Yes. Whether you're alone <laughs> yeah. or not, 100%. Yeah, exactly. So now you're not really doing that so much, but then it's still cropping up in your work because they're kind of combinations of your past works. Yeah, definitely. And I think they still have, like maybe they function in my brain as like one of the fragments now. So rather than being the different bits, those older drawings are one of the kind of quoted pictures rather than something I feel like I've drawn now because there's a bit of distance from them. I'm not sure. While we're on the subject of imagery, we must also talk about your love of memes. Oh, I love them. Yeah. And between images of your artwork on your Instagram profile, it is positively littered with them, <laughs> as well as your artist image on the Liminal Gallery website. Why do you use them as a tool in your practice? Well, first of all, thank you for being patient with the liminal situation. That was very generous of you. Um, <laughs> I would always humor an artist. <laughs> I mean, I think, yeah, again, I'll commit to a bit if I'm given half the chance, like a joke. I'm up for it. I'm up for making fun of myself. I'm up for making fun of art at every possible turn. I think also it's not that deep. Like it can get a bit serious. I'm quoting from, you know, art historical paintings or these big dead white men who are studied and, you know, they are incredible in loads of ways, but also there's definitely room to rinse some of them. And we're on the internet. So in those contexts, like, yeah, like the website or Instagram we're on the internet. This, this is meme territory. 
So I don't know. I think it's fun to be part of the image making that's happening in that medium. And also something about like there's no hierarchy of visual culture in some ways. I like the idea that we're all in this mess of pictures together and the people who make memes are geniuses. Like I return again and again to the same one and I'm laughing like that's impacting my body. I'm laughing multiple times at the same one. I'm pretty sure nothing I've ever made to someone return back to it and laugh. So I think they're amazing. I have a lot of time for a meme. Yeah, I really do. And I think it's fun to get involved with all of the types of making and appreciate all of the types of humor that there are because it's really impressive and amazing. It's interesting that you said about we're on the internet and it's meme territory. And like, I think that people forget that literally anything that you post then becomes the internet's property and it can be turned into a meme. Like nothing is safe. Yeah. Even art historical paintings have been turned into memes. Yeah, as they should be. Great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's really good. And they are really funny. So, I mean, it's a win-win. And your favorite one is that the one that you showed me the other day, your current favorite. Oh, my God. I was trying not to mention this because I thought it wouldn't be like podcast friendly. <laughs> but yes. So for the benefit of anyone who I haven't sent this to, it's called... Oh my God, let me check. Very important. We need to get this right. I would like to fact check this. This is the most important thing that we're going to discuss. <laughs> so the best meme of 2023 in my experience is called Strong Names for Boys. And it's a square, blue square with like blue, very masculine, of course, flames in the background. The title is like slightly aligned wrong. So it says Strong Names for Boys, but the top of all of the typography is cut off, which is obviously perfect. And then there's 10 suggestions of the best names for boys, which I'm going to read to you now. Uh, if I get through this without laughing, it's going to be a miracle because <laughs> I've, la I've laughed on my own reading through this list. So anyway, the options are Gonad, Ham, Drano, Battery, which gets me every time, Foul, like Phallus, Bloke, spelt like Cloak, Dyson, <laughs> Glute, <laughs> Landlord, and Honk. And I just, I just think this is genius and I don't know why it's got into my soul in this way. But anyway, I would call my sons battery and glute. And <laughs> if I haven't sent you that meme, you're probably not very good friends with me because I've tried to share that with everyone who would enjoy it. <laughs> I think honk is my fave. Honk is good. Honk is good. <laughs> yeah, there's just whoever came up with that. They picked the perfect 10 words. I'm in awe of them. I'd like to meet them. Anyway, yes, I really enjoy memes. <laughs> So I'm going to go away from memes. Is that okay? That's fine. I can let go. That's okay. Yeah, you let me get the strong names for boys out. I can't believe it. Always. So you sent me a lovely speculative email about working with Liminal. And I think it's really important that we highlight that's how we met. I know so many artists that do the same, but it takes months, sometimes years to hear back if they do at all and often without success. Have you said many of these in the past and what has been your experience? Well, first of all, this was absolutely amazing. Thank you for replying. Like unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. And it is so important because for whatever elitist reasons, also I'm sure volume reasons, but elitist reasons, you're right. So often no response happens. I've actually never done that before, but I have got a really bleak folder on my laptop, which I looked at when I saw that we were going to do this. And it's got every application I've ever made for like an art thing of any description. So like an open call, any kind of art thing that I've applied for. And there's literally hundreds of applications in there. And I've never had a yes ever, like not a single one of them went well. 
<laughs> so that folder's been brewing for however many years I've been trying. So that was my broad experience, just like it had turned into a joke. And loads of my friends have the same experience, just another no, okay, or no, no news at all. So I think that's pretty normal. But yes, I had 5,000 coffees and walked past your space with my friend. And luckily the caffeine high lasted long enough that I got home. I was like, do you know what? I'm going to send an email and sent you one, one strange picture. Quite fuzzy. <laughs> yeah, really bad. I don't have a camera on my phone. The whole thing was a mess. And then the caffeine wore off and I forgot. But you replied, which was so amazing and agreed to come round to my strange home, which was even more amazing. Yeah. Obviously, I Googled you. Oh, did you? Yeah, of course I did. And I oh. saw your Instagram. <laughs> I was like, oh, you saw the memes and you were hooked. All the memes. And I was like, <laughs> what is going on? Anyway, in between the memes, I saw some pretty shabby photographs of your artwork. Yeah. But- Managed to see past the blur. Thank you. <laughs> I thought this is actually quite interesting. And you're very close by, very so cool. that really helped because I didn't have to travel very convenient far. geography. Very yeah, convenient. Okay. <laughs> so I'm really glad that you did. But I spoke to someone recently who again sent me a speculative email. I replied to them and he said that it's taken people years to come back to him, like literally years. And I mean, that is just, I don't know, it's really disheartening. And it's rude. rude. Yes, exactly rude. Yes, that's a word. Just rude. rude. None of us, I mean, none of us in our jobs are allowed to take years to reply to someone. (laughs) Why is that acceptable? Exactly. Exactly. And like, I think that if someone sends you an email, then you reply to them. It's like if someone calls you, you call them back. If someone texts you, you text them back. Like, it doesn't matter who that person is. You take the time to reply to them. And yes, sure. You might have like maybe a busy few weeks. Maybe it takes a couple of weeks to reply. That's understandable, you know, but still. It does feel like a specific to creative environments that it's okay to leave people hanging or be rude or assume that you don't have to let them down, whether that's, well, yeah, whether it's letting them down or a positive response, but it's always good to hear back because it gives you closure to move on to your next thing or whatever. I think it's just good human communication. Come on, everyone. Yes, I agree. But I think it's really interesting that lots of artists that I follow have recently been sharing their no's, like, you know, saying another application came back and it was a no, just to like show that reality of being an artist, that it's not all, you know, you get funding, you get the open calls. There's so many applications that you have to fill out and often you have to pay for them. Like if it's an open submission or something, I was just going to say that, actually, that's the thing I try and like shout loudly at everyone who I have these conversations with. No more paying for applications. Just don't do it. I don't know. That's probably very angry generalization, but no more paying for applications. And I think that if you get the exhibition, why would you pay for it if it's with a gallery? You know, that that also annoys me as well. I think it's all just weirdly mysterious to most of us. I, I don't really understand how these things are supposed to work so you sort of think oh okay maybe maybe 40 quid for an application is fine but it's not <laughs> it's not fine because then when you're applying to like 10 a year it all adds up doesn't it so yeah I think it's one thing for the Royal Academy summer exhibition that I know that they charge sure because you get the Royal Academy yeah. on your CV and that's pretty amazing but if you're applying to some local mm-hmm. gallery that just wants to make some money out of poor artists then no it's a wild west out there. It is. 
So you moved to Margate nine years ago now. And I know that because I overheard you saying it the other day and I was like, yes, I got it right. <laughs> You're amazing. Yeah. People do keep asking me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you moved to Margate nine years ago now and you've seen it blossom into the cultural hub that it is today. How was it when you first moved here? And are you glad you stuck it out? Yes, I think I can become a bit of a like goblin in these conversations. But I think that I've... <laughs> Please do. <laughs> well, I think that the reason I'm glad I've stuck it out is because I talk loads about moving. I love that. That's my like signature move. I'm going to throw all my toys out of the pram and leave a situation. Classic. Let's not psychoanalyze it now, but I believe it's a classic. <laughs> so I haven't done that. I've stayed which has been great because living here facilitates so much time, like an outrageously privileged amount of time for making things, which wouldn't happen if I lived anywhere else. I'm in a flat that's got really, really, really low rent. I've been in it for nine years. I haven't had to move. My energy can just go into making things. And even though I have these moments of like, I must leave everything in a haze of melodrama, by not doing that, it's meant that there's been this sustained nine years of producing drawings, basically, which is an outrageous privilege. I mean, to have that kind of time, you have to be really lucky. So for that reason, it's amazing that I've stayed. And also the sea, the novelty of the sea does not wear off. It gets better and better. Unbelievable. I mean, do you find that? The sea gets better every day. Absolutely. Yes. And also growing up, we lived probably about 40 minutes away from the coast. And so we would go to the coast quite often. So I just, I love being mm. near the sea, no matter what the weather, I love it. And so every time we arrived, we'd get out of the car, my mum would be like, breathe in the sea air. It's really good for you. So every time I leave my front door, I'm like, <gasps> that's so lovely. Still you still do the deep breath. Yeah. That's amazing. It's good for you. <laughs> so breathe yes, in. She was right. It in. Get it in you. Yeah. But, you know, it's just, it is magical. It is really magical. Yes. So I think, I mean, nine years of sea air can't have done me any harm either. It has changed. A pint has got more expensive in nine years. I can tell you that. And there's a lot more fancy workwear being worn by trendy young people. But the main, like, <laughs> the main joy is the sea and this, like, absolutely wild sweet spot in terms of time because I'm able to just be a goblin hermit and pay my rent keep my head down and literally make work every day which is the only thing I sort of have ever wanted so what a little spoiled piglet I am really and talking of you making work every day you said that you wake up ridiculously early so that you can start drawing yes it's a bit of a military operation in quite a strange way and I didn't realize this was so weird but it turns out everyone reacts like you it's weird <laughs> well no okay this is a classic pandemic thing as well I think when the pandemic started, I was part of a very intense gym and the amazing person running it sent us this advice about routine and mental health. And if someone sort of gives me an instruction, I'm quite like, okay, sure, this is what's happening. So from the first day of the pandemic, had this strict drawing routine and, you know, the other things were in there, but it was mostly to max out on drawing time. And I just haven't stopped doing that. My brain is still okay, this is our routine forever. So yeah, I get up super early because I work three days a week and I'd be horrible to everyone if I didn't do some drawing first. So I do an hour of drawing before I get on the trusty stagecoach bus. And then if it's a day when I don't have to do that, it's a similar 
scenario but I can smash through the coffees and keep it going for the whole day which is amazing but yeah I have to do that waking up and getting that hour of time of making otherwise I think everything would crumble you're still being very cagey about the actual time oh (laughs) (laughs) well it's normally well before work it's normally about quarter to five oh it's a bit much at this time of year in the summer it's lovely because you feel like you're the only person seeing the sunrise but yeah 4.45 is pretty normal that is brutal and everyone reacts in the same way Mm, yeah no one can believe it yeah I really thought that this was something people were doing but it's not so that's fine um (laughs) yeah no it's good but you feel like it's better for you because it means you get some drawing in before you go into work and that makes you a better person yeah I mean I think that's probably really basic thing of me to think but if I have that like hour that's very selfish then the rest of the day can be what it is and I've had that time which is really special and precious and yeah self-indulgent again it's like this wild privilege to get to make things so if I get to make them every day even if it's a brutal start it is just a joy unbridled joy and it's an extra hour for slamming through caffeine I also have a problem in that department but <laughs> happy to get up at 4 45 to have an extra coffee so it's all good the only thing that happens is I have it and then I'm like ready to party obviously buzzing <laughs> and start like tapping the volume button on my laptop and then remember everyone else in the building is definitely asleep and have to turn it back (laughs) down but yeah that's fine that's the only downside in your biography as I said in the intro you say your work intends to explore some of the politics of looking at things the unexpected eroticism of placing different ideas in the context of one another and the ways in which the repetitive insistent touches of drawing can be sexy and weird I wondered if you could embellish on that a little bit and how it forms the basis of your practice. Yes, I bandy the word sexy around a lot. I think it's great. It's a funny word for a start, which is perfect. And I don't mean it in an explicit way. I think it's kind of intersecting with like the amazing nature of having an impossible thought or an impossible desire. And like sexiness, it's normally promise. I feel like it's normally what you don't know yet or what you think could be. I think that's what sexiness might be in any context. So I really like that idea, the impossibleness of a desire or thought or juxtaposition. And that's the sexiness. And I read actually around lots of research for the show and lots of my own like interests. This guy, Midas Deckers, has written quite an intense book about art history and intersections with bestiality. But he has a really important bit about the fantasy being the thing. So the whole book is about how to unpack some of these ideas in very literal ways and creative ways but he has an important section where he says for all of this argument I've made nothing will ever be as good as the impossible fantasy you've created I think that's really key and lovely and what I'm getting at with sexy and weird and these kind of ideas of play it's enjoying and celebrating the impossible thought or the impossible desire is something that we can dig into and enjoy for what it is and I think yeah maybe it's very basic way to do it layering images like impossible things that don't go together put them together sexiness is yeah impossible desires impossible thoughts I love it the promise of what could be Mm, exactly yeah or what can't or what absolutely can't but then what a joy I think we need to have more of those thoughts and more of those impossible urges yearning all of the stuff you can't have but dream it anyway think about it it's still fun 
that kind of ties in quite nicely because you were talking about your research for the show. And so in your solo exhibition, Haunches at Liminal Gallery, you delve into the untimely demise of the champion racehorse Farlap in 1932. Tell me about how you came across this and how you translated it into your works. I had to really think about how I came across this. I really like research as this kind of patchworking exercise. I love it. I love finding things out and then making them relate to each other, which again is the same as the pictures. I'm just a broken record, but it's the same with the writing. It's the same with when I'm reading. And the fun thing about art is you can just decide what the rules are, which is great. So I can decide the file app is relevant and let me tell you how. And it doesn't necessarily mean it is, but isn't that fun? Again, it's like an impossible thought that I'm going to just tell you how it's possible for now. But for the run of this show, it's possible for Farlap to relate. So I think what happened was I simultaneously knew I was going to be showing work that was in all of these boxes. I knew that was happening visually. I also really knew I wanted the green from the St. Catherine drawing to be something to do with the background for everyone. By everyone, I mean the drawings. I just referred to them like people, which is weird. <laughs> anyway, so I had this colour in mind. I knew I was showing boxy work. I'd read this amazing piece of writing about a book of arsenic-laced wallpapers. Did I tell you about this? No. Oh, it's amazing. It's called Shadows from the Walls of Death. And the whole book has been digitized. You can look at it online. It's from the 1800s. And they discovered arsenic, obviously poisonous arsenic, was in these wallpapers. So they've been catalogued, but they're really beautiful. So they're poisonous and lethal, but very, very beautiful. And all the green a version of the green we've got on the walls in the gallery. So this arsenic colour was in my mind and thinking about the bestiality text that I've been reading, it's a lot of horses. Horses come up and again and again. So I feel like maybe I was just researching intersections of these things and it's loads of luck, isn't it? You just find the weird horse who actually died of an arsenic overdose and got split up into sections, like wild coincidences. I don't think I can take too much credit for it, but it's this amazing moment. It was like, oh my God, this weird horse from the thirties is perfect for me. So I don't think it was any kind of stroke of genius. I think it was probably luck, but it was amazing. And I love that part where your brain realizes all these floaty pieces of stuff that you've been thinking about can come together if you can just get the sentence right that explains it. So yeah, I think it was a process of just like, finding things out I don't have a super clever answer but I did love doing it and then I think that's so important to any artist you are the person that has all of these ideas and is able to piece them together you know so many people might have had all of those ideas and piece them together in a totally different way it's through chance and experience that brings it together that's totally unique to the way that you work yeah, definitely. And that's, again, it's this joy of like having impossible thoughts and really fun and amazing to be given the opportunity to tell someone else your impossible thoughts. So poor Farlap was given an arsenic overdose. Yes. I mean, it's still up for debate, but his trainer's record logs, notebooks, went up for auction and they had the full recipes for these tonics. I'm doing air quotes with my fingers because... It was just like performance enhancing nonsense. They had cocaine in them. But anyway, his trainers who loved him dearly were mixing these for him. And it kind of explains why he won so many races. I think I'd win races on those tonics. So it could be that they messed up the ratios that day in the press at the time because he was so well loved. The narrative was, has he been poisoned by like a rival? So, I mean, I guess, who am I to decide? But I feel like these 
logbooks which have arsenic as one of the ingredients that they were regularly feeding him maybe he was unfortunately hurried along by the people that loved him the most but what a classic mood <laughs> very classic yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um anyway yeah so bless him he died just after his big moment but good story though and massive heart absolutely massive heart probably all that coke I would have thought but yeah yeah I mean what a way to build up those heart muscles exactly it's one way to do it yeah (laughs) poor horse but at least he went out on a high many highs on a win and like absolutely off his head yeah Mm. (laughs) yes for this exhibition you wrote a text which delves into this story further you taught yourself in design, very impressive, and created a wonderful handout to go alongside the artworks. Do you often push the boundaries in this way, extending the lifeline of the exhibition past the physical viewing space? Well, I mean, firstly, I feel like I should lower the expectation of anything I achieved within design. <laughs> it's it's yeah, wonderful. I did, uh, thanks very much. <laughs> yeah, it's maths, it turns out, in design. But I enjoyed it. It's nice. I like having, I think in some ways it's really fun to realise you can work stuff out for your own work and then it's yours. You've kind of taken control of whatever, even if it's slightly shambolic, which in my case it normally is. But then it's yours. And that also relates to some amazing advice that I was given, which is that you should try and see everything you do in your life as part of your kind of creative output. I don't know, this could like, start treading into nonsense territory but I think it's a nice idea that everything you do whether it's like how you speak to someone in the street how you send an email it's all part of this kind of performance of your creativity and who you are so yeah why not learn in design badly and bang out a leaflet if you can but no I do love it I like the idea the writing's quite important because yeah I think the thinking is really fun for me I really enjoy that part of it and then it feels like it extends the life of maybe this thought process I don't know I'm keen to say more about it in terms of learn more and write more about some of these ideas beyond the exhibition so it's a nice way to keep the thread kind of going maybe you're very good at writing oh thanks I don't know about that but no I love it I really really enjoyed it I think it's such a strong text and it just sits against the artwork in such a interesting way because there's like this thread which like you were explaining earlier you've found all of these different components and ways that this story relates to your work but it's such a thin thread so you're reading through it and you're like what has this got to do with this show and then at the end it's like boom it just all comes together it's just oh delicious (laughs) it's wonderful very generous of you that's very generous praise I don't know (laughs) thank you very welcome I think you did really good with it so if anyone would like a copy they can email me we have it in digital format (laughs) as well as physical really really smashed the InDesign options there yeah and I think it's definitely worth noting that you also chose the same arsenic green color for the paper to match the walls but it's also accessible as well yes it's really good if you experience dyslexia or find it easier to read on a color So that's nice. That's a nice kind of extra part of it. Yeah. Really nice extra part of it. So visiting your at-home studio, I was struck by the different sizes you work on. Some teeny tiny and some huge works on paper. But throughout all of them, you managed to retain that same sense of delicate intricacy. 
my first question asked about your attention span, but there's also a strong sense of control about your practice. The marks you make are incredibly controlled and I get a real sense of confidence that you know exactly where you want to take us as a viewer, whether that's on a small or large scale artwork. How do you use this to influence the viewer's experience? Interesting. I don't know if I'm thinking too much about the viewer's experience when I'm making them. I feel like sometimes when I'm making them, the like the fun or the test is like, I wonder if I can draw this. I wonder if I can. And then finding out. And then it's like, oh my God, look, there it is. There's the thing. I think sometimes it's just about delighting myself, which again is so self-indulgent. But I think that's often it. I don't know if I'm thinking about anyone else seeing them really. It's amazing that they are at the moment. And that's an absolutely outrageous privilege and joy but it hasn't happened before. So I don't think I'm in any kind of headspace where I'm imagining other people seeing them. I think it's more about my own, like, yeah, what would I find fun to draw? What am I not sure I could draw? So it'd be good to find out. And what would I find funny? I think it's all just, yeah, me, 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 basically. And you mentioned colour earlier, because a lot of the works are in black for this show. There's quite a lot that are more dark toned works, but there are some with really heavy application of pencil. And then there's some that are so light when you first see them, you think there's nothing on there, like the two monks. And then you get closer and there is like just the faintest trace. When you start a drawing, do you know how it's going to turn out, whether you are going to go heavy or whether you're going to go super light? I think, yeah, that's really interesting because as you're asking me, I know the answer and it's to do with the attention span thing. So I think in my head, I imagine I'm Michelangelo. So like every single time I'm like, this is going to be the best thing I've ever done. This is going to be absolutely amazing. And then obviously you start and like, oh, oh no, <laughs> I'm still not Michelangelo after all. This isn't going that well at all. And sometimes I kind of check out if I don't think it's going to become what I'd imagined or it's not as nice as I'd hoped. I might just stop and okay, this is as good as it's going to get. I'm going to give up because if I do the heavy application, it's a billion layers. So I find it impossible to jump to how it should look at the end. I have to do so many layers of different colors, which is a bit like painting when I've attempted to oil paint and you do kind of layers that are translucent and that's how you create rich colors with painting. That's kind of how I draw, but it's pointless because you can't see the earlier layers. It's just a process that is time consuming hell. So if that's happened, it's normally because I haven't lost concentration yet and have made it to that point where there's a billion layers and the colours are much richer. Um, the light ones, it is normally that I've thought, well, this isn't going to get any better, so I'm going to stop now. But I don't hate it when that happens. And I mean, like the, the invisible dog also was out. So it's very generous of you to use the term home studio. <laughs> I am absolutely just drawing on my table at home and floor and sometimes on the carpet yeah exactly <laughs> and if I leave things out which I do all the time the airy fairy nonsense of those drawings means that they fade so I think the monks are just nonsense they were always that light but I think the dog also has been out and like part of this shuffle of things I was looking at on top of a very lit table for ages so partly it has disappeared which is kind of fun fun in person but really hard to photograph that invisible dog horrific lives up to its name <laughs> I'm so sorry that's put you through hell that dog I'm so it's sorry fine. thankfully I've got a really snazzy camera <laughs> yeah you're a step ahead of me with the camera but still I apologize I do think though that your works especially those ones where they're really light they just need to be seen in person how long would you say on average it takes you to complete 
a medium-sized drawing I mean that's such a vague question but so much longer than you'd imagine because I'm so rubbish at concentrating and sometimes now I'll have more than one on the go because I've realized it's ridiculous otherwise so maybe an A3 drawing could take me two weeks but that would be with other things going on at the same time dipping into writing it does take a really long time and that's not because it's this like elaborate amazing process it's just because I'm rubbish (laughs) (laughs) that's all it is 100% you're not rubbish no I disagree slow very slow bad (laughs) at concentrating yeah easily distracted all these things (laughs) and what is your biggest distraction oh my god well good point music maybe sometimes it can really help me concentrate and then I just like get into the party spirit and it's tipped over into a different place um so that can be bad I also really love being outside and if the sun comes out and you're by the sea I mean yeah I always feel like it's the last possible sunny day of my life so I have to go and see the sun but yeah I think music's the big one because once I tip over into like rave mood there's no going back what's your biggest distraction um my child <laughs> oh yes you've got a proper one yeah that's a really grown-up distraction definitely but anything can distract me your answer is so much more fun than mine <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I don't have a small person to keep alive so it's a bit different yeah we're in two very different places but we're both in Margate yeah. both loving the sea yeah so... <laughs> absolutely yeah there are intersections it's fine any intersections so the questions that I ask everyone What do you enjoy the most about your practice? I really love pictures. I just have a lot of time for pictures. So getting to make ones that I've been the strange goblin master of is (laughs) fun every time. Yeah, making pictures is great. And how do you source your pictures? All over the place. I think you said something much more articulate than me before, but I have a lot of very serious art books at home. But also, thank God for the internet. I can see the tabs I've opened now and it's loads of things from the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. That's fun. Lovely archives are really good and they're all just digitized and there now. What a time to be alive. I used to work for like a big museum. So I think knowing that these archives are there and they're free, that's really good and helpful. Yeah, social media is there. Love the celebs, love a celeb screenshot. And there are some amazing accounts that are going through kind of archive fashion books and old editorials so that's really cool but it can also be things people send me I mean I just hoard I'm a greedy little hoarding troll when it comes to pictures and postcards oh my god postcards is one of my favorites if there's like postcards and charity shops what a gold mine yeah big postcard fan good to know I keep an eye out for you for that and also photographs that you take on the street as well let's not forget some of the gems that Margate has given you endless gems yeah there's that amazing kind of scooter that's in one of the drawings in the show which was outside Morrison's and for ages I was painting the same photo I took outside Tesco's it was at night and there was this amazing fluffy white dog obviously waiting for its owner but inside a white kind of sporty car in the driver's seat just staring at me and it's absolutely amazing so there's nothing nothing is impossible on the streets of Margate which is incredible yeah lots of food for pics that's for sure what do you find the most frustrating about your practice uh it does take me a billion years and that's annoying I'd like to just bang them out but I guess they wouldn't look like they look if I did them really quickly so maybe it's a frustration to get used to but yeah it annoys me how long it takes and on some days I'll do 
a centimeter and then my brain checks out so yeah that's annoying I annoy myself I'm the annoying thing in this the drawings are fine it's me that's the problem but yeah I'm I'm frustrating yes that's the answer to that question me <laughs> I feel like we need to have a chat off the recording you're not the annoying one <laughs> <laughs> great okay we'll do that thank you yeah we can do some therapy later no I'm fine but in answering that I've realized that I'm the problem so there we go <laughs> Is there anything else you'd like to say about your current solo exhibition, Haunches at Liminal Gallery? Mostly just thank you. Thank you for letting me do it. So generous and lovely of you. So yeah, very grateful. That's it. I don't have anything clever at this point to say, but gratitude mainly is the headline event. Well, you are very welcome indeed. I'm very glad that you sent me that message. And it has been such a great show. It was such a fun opening, wasn't it? Oh my God, so busy. I can't believe how busy it was for January. It was cold, wasn't it? Yeah, put people through it that day. Yes. And I smashed a glass. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You can't take me anywhere. Well, if it's going to make you feel any better whatsoever, it will make you feel better. I smashed two glasses. <laughs> oh, that does make me feel better. Yeah. <laughs> There's one thing that I would like to bring up mm. because the wonderful artist Julie Caves asked you at the opening a question which I think is a really interesting one and that is why have you decided to display some of your drawings on steel held on by magnets with different sheets of paper overlapping so some of the work is obscured? That was a really good question and also annoyingly your answer was so much better than mine <laughs> but I can give mine and you can take credit for yours but I think I was talking about how it's nice to have a sense of that shifting around. I think once something's locked into a fancy frame behind glass, it can't move. We all can see that, that that's the picture. But layering, this idea of shifting, there are things underneath. I think that looseness and that like potential for change is nice. I've thought about the idea of the event horizon before. And I think there's probably really super intelligent ways you can unpack that idea. But in terms of like the theory of an event horizon... I think about it as the horizon line is where anything's possible on the other side. So again, this idea of what's possible and impossible, imagining things. So if you think of anything you want can be over the horizon line. So it's nice to have these hanging bits of paper. There are cuts between images, there are cuts in the middle of images. So anything could be happening underneath or hidden and it makes this event horizon. I mean, it's a bit grandiose, isn't it? But like anything is possible. There could be anything underneath. So I think it feeds into that idea of thinking about the hidden, the sexy, the weird, the impossible. And also my dear friend Chloe saw the steel and it reminded her of kebab shop metal, which is actually amazing. I love that because, yeah, that ties into these limbs ripped from horses vibe. So all interpretations welcome. But your answer was so much better than mine. Oh, you made the accurate and appropriate observation that it looks like how the drawings look when they're piled up in my flat which actually I think is the better and less pretentious answer <laughs> so let's go with yours we'll leave event horizons in the past and go with it looks like how I have them around me in my home I think that you just said that all answers are valid. <laughs> so it can be a combination of things. It's so interesting, isn't it? Going into an artist's space and seeing how they treat their own artworks. As soon as they go into a gallery or a museum, they're treated as if they're the most precious things. And they came to yours and you've just got like piles of paper everywhere, half drawn, fully finished. Just wonderful. It's lovely. And it is just like this kind of cacophony of very soft noise. Yeah, that's nice. That's a lovely way of putting it. 
Well, Maud Watley, thank you so much for joining me today on the Liminal Gallery podcast. It has been such a pleasure talking to you. Such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. Haunches, a solo exhibition by Maud Watley, ran until the end of January 2024 at Liminal Gallery. Even though it's now come to an end, you can still find the online viewing room on our website at www.liminal-gallery.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Liminal Gallery podcast with me, Louise Fitzjohn, and I hope you'll join me down in Margate for the final week of our current exhibition, In Bits, a duo show featuring Ingrid Bertha Moyne and Jennifer Newland. Our next podcast episode will be released mid-March with Laura Ford, who has an upcoming solo exhibition in our main space entitled Little Lords, opening on the 2nd of March from 5 until 8pm. As always, all are welcome to join us. Bye for now.